You're listening to episode 96 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today I have Marsha Van Weinsberg joining us. This was such a fun interview. I had an absolute blast with it. Marsha is an author, a speaker, a business and life coach, and she's also the best-selling author of the book, When She Stopped Asking Why, which we'll all be linking over in the show notes. She shares her lessons in the book as a parent who dealt with teen substance abuse for far past the level of normal experimentation. And through her programs, coaching, and live events for women, Marsha's on a mission to teach you how to inspire yourself forward, as she refers to it, in your own life. She teaches women how to own their stories, lead themselves, and pay it forward to others by creating businesses that serve, support, and impact other women. I absolutely love what we discussed. We talked about everything from taking radical responsibility to yourself to giving purpose to your story and how sharing your story can actually help you heal as well. Um, And really just finding gifts in adversity, which it's, it's such a powerful thing to even discuss. And we, we answered some really cool questions in this one. Marsha was such a delight and I'm so excited for you to listen. So for anything that is referenced uh, in the episode, make sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com and you can find all of the things over there in order to connect with Marsha as well. I had to hit record right away because Marsha and I were chatting and I was afraid that I was going to miss any of this amazing, amazingness. So <laughs> we have Marsha Van Weinsberg on the podcast today. I'm so excited. Marsha, please tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do, and how you ended up doing what, what, you, what you do today. Well, that is a big question. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm just, I'm, I'm very thrilled to be here. My name is Marsha. I have worked in the healthcare field for 25 plus years, coaching people through physical and emotional transformations, teaching people, some people how to walk again. So, I mean, I was definitely in the field of, you know, change, creating change for people. And um, we had two boys, very, you know, normal life, really boring, normal life. And through a number of different challenges and a very young age, we were, we found drugs in our home and the drugs in our home just came and was a shock and it was a surprise. And for many people, they would say it was a phase and um, let them, you know, let them figure it out, etc. All I can say in a nutshell for us is, is that once it entered the home, it never left. It only escalated. Mm. And for a number of years, um, it became a nonstop battle, daily battle. And I would say that it became a monster that took over our life. I mean, that was a really short, brief nutshell. And I spent many, many years um, hiding from the world, hiding. And I was still looking for help because I was a fixer, right? I was a mom and I'm fixing. I fix, control, manage, make everything smooth again. And I did that for a long time, but to the world, I would show this face of, nope, life is fine. I was, I was the 
queen of redirecting questions and taking it off of me. And in doing so, eventually my world became very, very small and I had no solutions and it didn't change anything in my world. And through a series of really, really difficult experiences, learning that I had to own my own choices. And that became a real mantra that I learned to help myself through really difficult times. And as I started to slowly work through it, a ton of personal development, a ton of you know, just really diving in to what I was experiencing, realizing that I had ended up creating a book and it wasn't meant to be a book, but it was a journal to help me that went into a book. And I shared my story probably for the first time publicly, I'm gonna say about, for five years ago and since then I share it quite openly with others and more from the standpoint of what I went through and what my life changed and how you know we we have these stories and also realizing that we have these stories that we if we can learn how to share them we can impact serve and support others and helping them to realize that they're not alone and and I mean there's so many things but I just found that if I could Put that energy back in myself in order to move through a very difficult situation. I mean, and owning my own choices was essentially what my kids were going to have to do too at the time. I mean, it's just really taking massive, massive radical responsibility for yourself. And um, a lot of moms, it might sound very selfish to hear that, but it's the truth. And I wish I would have learned that lesson a long time ago. But it's just, you know what, we have to take responsibility for ourselves and move forward. And now I take that and I coach and I speak and I help women with their story and let it not define them. And some women are taking it and building businesses from their lessons. And it's just like this big vulnerability cloak open that we're doing and we're just sharing, creating a culture of people sharing their stories. That's so powerful. And, and I really want to, to talk to you more about this power of stories. I know that this is, <laughs> this is where we started talking before the podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> we can make this public information. Um, because I just, I, the more I, I hear people's stories, the more I realize I'm connected to them, the more I share my own stories, I realize how much other people feel connected to me. And mm -hmm. I had, uh, I was telling you before that I, I had a coach who used to say that the more specific the story, the more people can relate. And that just seems so counterintuitive to me because, you know, it, it's, it's my specific story. So, but then the, but then I started seeing this in action mm -hmm. and people would reach out to me and, and they could have a completely different story, but they connected the dots and saw the little threads and the themes mm -hmm. in my story. And it, it helped them to feel closer to me. And I think that there's so much, immense power in that because we, I recently just, um, uh, wrote an article about like this, this loneliness that is perpetuated in the digital world, especially as an entrepreneur, but in general, because we're more connected than we've ever been, but we're also oh. less connected than we've ever been. The most connected, disconnected society. Is yes. what they call it. it's, it's like this bizarre mm -hmm. dissonance and we, we have to find ways to meet in the middle. And I think that these, these power of like this, this power of stories is one of the best ways that we can do that. I, oh, I completely agree. And I think that as you talk about with social media, whether it's social media or not, we have this um, there for a long time with social media, there was this persona of, you know, life was perfect. Get the pictures done, get this, everything was perfect. And it's just what happens then is we're so not relatable to anybody. And you can look at people and think that, 
okay, well, she, great, sure, she got through that, but look at her. She doesn't know where I'm at, and she can't relate to me because she doesn't look anything like that. And, and it's really that we're not sharing like we're not sharing the crappy parts of life. And I think that we have to do that. I think there's ways to do that without living in the negative. We're not living in this like, oh my gosh, poor me state, but it's being real and sharing what we've gone through because you know what, like what good are the lessons that I've learned if I just say, hey, it's great on this side, but I'm not gonna tell you how I did it. Like it just doesn't mean anything. And I think that people right there are like pegging. I really believe that when you have a solution to a problem, and you have found your way through something that you are obligated to share that with others and someone is praying for a solution that you have, you're holding on to. Absolutely. And I, this sort of brings me to my next point, which is like, how do we reconcile our own story in comparison to others who are part of that same story, but have different views too? Because I've also heard you mention this because this is one of the problems with sharing stories is that it, it often will be a story that involves more than just us mm -hmm. and it can involve people close to us. And there can be a lot of pushback about that. Even if we don't use actual names or anything like that, mm -hmm. if we start sharing those stories publicly, how do we, how do we deal with that? This is something I, that I have struggled with as well. So I'd love to hear your answer on this. It's, I have a few things I want to share on this. Cause I, I really like this question and I remember being in this space First off, I heard Lisa Nichols speak probably about six years ago, and she said the words that if you have a story to share, and it is a vulnerable story that someone could deem as um, criticism or it's you know about someone else, then you should be able to always tell the story as if they were standing in the room. And that always gave me just a point of reference of, okay, so now I'm sharing it, because we're sharing our story. See, we should be sharing our story from our perspective, not about someone else. And that's what I think is where we miss the point sometimes is that we're sharing things about someone else. And if we really want to relate, and that's not going to help me to relate to anyone else. It's I have to share where I come from and what happened to me. So that was the first point she said. And the second one she said is that if you have a story that you are so emotional that you can't share without breaking down, you're not ready. Like you're just not ready. And, and that's okay. Like and you might never be ready, which is completely fine too. So don't put the pressure of sharing something. I mean, I, I am very open and I do share a number of things, but there are definitely parts of my story that will never make it to any publication of any kind because they're just not necessary and they aren't, they aren't going to be there to support someone else. They're more damaging to someone else. And that's just not something that I will do. So I think that's part of it is being able to share it from yourself. Another thing I would say with that is letting go of the fear of judgment. Um, I would love to say that everybody was incredibly supportive when I decided to share my story, but that is totally not true. I had a number of people who were just like, you don't do that. You don't do things like that. You don't share from that perspective. You don't, um, you don't dirty, like share your dirty laundry. We don't do things like that. So I did take a lot of pushback and criticism, but I had this strong feeling it had to be shared. And I felt like it was meant for people that I hadn't met yet, if that makes sense. It was, it was A, healing for me. It really was. And B, it was to support other people. If I could give some purpose to the trauma that I had lived through, I felt like it had meaning. And it was, 
it just gave it, whether it's superficial or not, it gave it meaning, which helped me to heal. So that's how I used to look through it. But letting go of that judgment, um, the most powerful thing that just clicked for me one time was, you know, I did take a lot of criticism, was the fact that I, I mean, what people were saying, sometimes what they were saying to me in the beginning um, was, <laughs> was definitely judgment. But I remember one point standing there thinking, oh, I've already said that to myself, and I've said that to myself, and I've said that to myself. And I'm like, wait a minute. What could somebody say to me that is worse than what I've said to myself? And I was like, well, there's nothing because I've already done all of that. So all of a sudden, within a second, the fear of judgment of others just lost its power because I'd already done all of it. So it was an easy way to learn to let go of that judgment piece, if that makes sense. And then, you know, like honestly, just like deciding to own that story and, and own my part of the story. I mean, I had a massive amount of fear. I'm being very real. I, the book was released and I was probably six months and people would say, oh my gosh, you wrote a book. What's it about? And I'm like, oh, it's a story about a mom who shares her story. <laughs> I couldn't even say. It took me so long to grow into the piece to say that and now like how to do that is I throw things out in the conversation first so when somebody says like wow what's your book about I'm like oh it's a story about a mom who shares her I share my story about dealing with um, teen substance abuse and it just drops right there's nothing to say because I've already said it so if you're fearful of judgment of something I would encourage people to speak first and and say what it is that you're afraid of because there's nothing left to say after that so it's really separating that out and not everybody is going to understand, but you know what? Not everybody's walking your journey. Not everybody is wearing your shoes. Not everybody is in the arena with you. Like my favorite Renee Brown quote, like if you're not in the arena, getting your butt kicked, she says it differently, getting your butt kicked, then you don't have an opinion. And so I think it's just really practicing those mantras that I knew I was doing this not to hurt somebody. I was trying to help somebody. And I knew that in my heart, whether somebody agreed with me or not. There are an astronomical number of things that I want to unpack from this. So, this so good. So good. So <laughs> something that I want to circle back to is that I think, I think that we also all sort of need to have our own lines in the sand. And I love how you mentioned that about how you know, we can share our stories, but it doesn't mean that we share everything. And I think that sometimes yeah. this is sort of the fine line of the connection versus disconnection online, because when, when we're sharing our stories, we, and, and I've totally been this person where I, I feel like I know someone deeply because they've shared, yes. some, you know, pretty intimate stories online. But then what you forget is that there is an awful lot going on behind the scenes that will never make it to the yeah. internet as yeah. it should be. Right. Like, I don't think that anyone should share 100% of their life online, not even close. And sometimes, you know, you do see people kind of stepping over the line a little bit. And I'm like, you know, maybe that one should have stayed in the vault. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great point. I don't think it all has to be spilled out. I think it's, again, as we said earlier, I think it's the emotions and the, the pain. Like that's what connects us as humans. It, I don't need to share the details of the story. And I, if you share, and I, this is just my opinion, because I've done it. If we share and live in the details of the story, then we are still living in the story. And if we live in the story, that story has power, right? So I always say we can either stand in our story or stand on our story. Two totally different things, two totally different sources of energy. So choosing to live in it means you're still feeding it. You're feeding it, you're giving it power, all of those things. 
So it doesn't have, you don't have to share all the pieces of it. That's so good. That's a really beautiful way of putting it actually about in the story versus on it. On the story. Yeah. Yes. That's, I think I that's lived in it. I lived in it for so long. And it honestly, the more I lived in it, the more it sucked the life out of me. And that's like, that's the playing those details over and over and over and over is completely living in it and you're fueling it. And that's not going to help you to move forward. It will not. Well, I think that then we can also get stuck in the cycle of allowing that story to define us. Yes. And that is something that I have grappled with a lot as well. There, there are some things that I'm going to be discussing a little bit more publicly in the near-ish future and mm -hmm. something I have thought about and discussed with people I'm close to a lot is I don't want to be defined by yeah. like, I, I don't want to define myself by certain stories and I don't want other people to only know me for that particular story either. So that is sort of something that I, I suspect uh, people hmm. grapple with as well, because it's sort of figuring out again, like it, it's sort of about these boundaries, right? And, and these really fine details and, and figuring mm -hmm. out where we land on them. You said some really big words there. And I think that's, that's it. I mean, boundaries for sure. That guy definitely have boundaries regarding the story. And I always will. And that's for me and for my kids. That's just not, it's not necessary, but the boundaries, right? The boundaries are there to protect us. They're not there to keep bad things out or, you know, good things. It's just there to, there, it's our line in the sand. And we have to have that because we decide, right? We decide how people treat us. We decide we decide those things by what we allow. So boundaries are incredibly important when it comes to these kinds of things. So there's many times I've been speaking and, and very rarely will I give, like I give details, but I don't give details that would ever um, harm them because it's just, there's no need for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do feel so strongly too about, uh, I, I just absolutely resonate with what you said about giving purpose to trauma and giving yes. it meaning to help you heal. Because I don't think that people understand the power in that a lot of times. Um, I feel like I'm using the word power a lot today. I know. <laughs> it's, good, it's a good word. It's a good word. But it's, it's just so interesting because when we are sort of living in our stories, we just keep reliving the trauma. Whereas yes. if we release it with healthy boundaries and, and with yes. all of those things in place, then that can sort of trigger part of the healing process. And rather than isolating ourselves, walling ourselves off, and keeping it hidden away because that's just going to end up hurting us more in the long run a lot of times. Again, mm -hmm. depending on the story and mm -hmm. depending on, on all the other things that go with it, but that can, be, that, that can be really detrimental to our health, I think, sometimes too. Oh, and it was for me. I'm not, like, I honestly, I lost myself completely. Like I, I can speak from knowledge because I did it. I, I, I became a little shell of nothing and lost my health, lost. I mean, we just went through so much because it, it, that toxic energy just eats you. It eats you and eats you and eats you and it keeps you stuck in that spot. So you don't realize the power of it until you let it go. And I, I've always believed that, you know, and had a, a really strong intuition and a belief that things happen for a reason. And I, and I know when you're in those spaces, like you just hate hearing things like that. Cause I, for the longest time I was assuming I was wrong. I did something wrong. Something is you know, I wasn't a good mom, all of those things. Like, because you, we as humans have to blame someone for what, like, why did this happen? And I remember being in a group counseling with my husband. And at one point, the person, um, the facilitator had said, you know, you're one of the only couples I've ever met that is still together. And you're dealing with this with both boys. Like, how is that possible? 
And it wasn't easy. I'm not going to say that. But then I remember sitting there thinking, maybe there is a purpose for this. Like if I can find a purpose for this, then actually it, it helps me to heal. And if I can help someone else with it, then, you know, that purpose is important. I mean, and six years ago, I'm going to say, honestly, like it was a sign that nobody talked about teen substance abuse at all. It was just never even talked about. And it was always assumed that it was those families. I'm just going to say in quotations, like those families that happened to it. And I'm telling you, it's not the case. It's not the case at all. I mean, with people on a regular basis, they're very good, normal, what we would call normal families who are dealing with this. So it is a real thing that's affecting a number of families. So it helped me to put some purpose to it. Absolutely. And, and I really liked too, I, I wrote this down and, and highlighted it because it really spoke to me was when you said, what could someone say to me that is worse than what I've said to myself? Yeah, nothing. And that hit me like a gut punch. I'm like, it's so true. It is right. so true. Is it that, that is such a factor. <clears throat> and I actually have had, uh, I had a girlfriend say that, say something similar to me as well. Something along the lines of, you know, if, if you are going to put a really significant story out there, like a really vulnerable story out there. Mm -hmm. You have to be prepared for the negative comments. Oh, big time. Absolutely. That that's, that's what the internet is, you know, it brings out yeah. the haters and the trolls and, and all of this stuff and the, the criticism. So you have to be prepared for that and you have to be in, in enough of a healthy place and have healed enough on your own yes. before you can ever get to that point. So I think that that is something that people need to, you know, write that down yourselves as well, because it take note of that, because before you share a story, I think that everyone needs to really make sure that, that we are absolutely making sure that we aren't going to be quite so reactive when the inevitable criticism comes. And, and inevitable is a great word. It's a great word. It will happen. And the more real and open we are, the bigger the platform we speak on, the more there are. There's just the more there are. And so I've gotten to the point, I got a really nasty message not that long ago. And I was just sat there and the person said, I was going to post this on your timeline, but I didn't feel that was appropriate. So I sent it to you. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you, know, you still want to send it and want to get that last word. And I remember reading it and I got about two sentences in. And I was like, okay, wow, there's a gut punch on this one. And then I just went, oh, no, obviously, here's another one. There's like this, so there you are. So I see you, I know who you are, I know where your thought process is, and the more I speak out, the more of you I'm going to see. So obviously, if I'm setting some triggers and creating some triggers, which I'm really okay with, if I'm creating some triggers, then obviously I am saying some of the right things. So I'm okay with it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, it's so hard to remember those things in the moment. When, oh. you're, when you're being hit with it and it just is overwhelming, you can, it's sort of that, that phenomenon that we can get a hundred amazing, great, positive comments. And then we get one negative one. And that's the yes. one that we focus on. We're just, we're hardwired to focus on the negativity and we have to really retrain ourselves in a lot of ways. It's work. It's retraining and it's work. It is a ton of work, but I always say, right. And it's, it, people say, well, that's hard. I'm like, yeah, and staying still is hard. It's all hard. You get to choose which hard you want. It's all hard. Well, and there's, there's so much, I, I mean, I feel like we keep touching on sort of this thread of, of healing as well, but there's so much immense healing in finding the gifts in our mm -hmm. adversity and mm -hmm. it can be a huge part of learning to let go. So what kinds of practices do you recommend to start pulling those hidden gifts out? 
That's so good. Cause I just actually wrote that down, letting go. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know what I did. So journaling was something um, that I started early on. And the reason I, I explain that with clients is right. Our thoughts in our head, they're toxic. A lot of times they're toxic. I mean, if we actually spoke the words out loud that we think to ourselves in most cases, we would never let anyone else talk to us that way. We just wouldn't. And so they, they can be very toxic. You have to retrain them. You have to go through that process of looking at, I mean, we have to acknowledge anything before we can change it. So I would write things down, give myself space to just brain dump. And then I would look at the words and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm glad that's out of my head and go with it and let it go. And then say, but is that how I want to feel? No, it's not. Okay. So how can I reframe this? And it was a training process for my brain over and over and over. You can put um, positive in, right? We can put a lot of positive in. And I did. Meditations, podcasts, all of those things I would put in on a daily basis to try and think more positively. But if you can't clear out the negative junk, you can't overpower it with positive. Like that negative just grows faster like weeds. And so we have to create those habits of, you know, getting rid of what isn't serving us and then actually going into what is serving us. I had a lot of mantras and affirmations, which really made a big difference for me. And it was, and they might sound really simple, but they really worked. Is that no, that's that's not my choice, but this is my choice. I'm gonna own my choice. I'm not gonna own that choice because that choice is not mine. So and it's very I used those words on a regular, regular basis. Is that, you know, nope, that's not my choice. I don't need to own that one. But whoa, I better own this one because that one's mine. And sometimes I'd be angry at something and I'd be like, wait, was that my choice? It was my choice. Oh, okay, Marcia, next time you need to do it this way. So I had little mantras that I would go through things with myself of really taking responsibility. I completely went into a lot of counseling, a lot of support, a lot of um, reaching out. And I did have to, you, you have to, if you want to create that change, it's going to require some kind of vulnerability. It doesn't mean you need to go on a podcast and share your story, but maybe that's through counseling, through support, through tribe that you might have to say, look, I'm really struggling. And I'll maybe allow that process, not controlling it, allow the process to unravel the way it's supposed to instead of trying to micromanage it. Because I can tell you now that some of the most impactful people I have in my life, I have because I shared the story. And so we can make space. I did lose a lot of people and that's completely fine, but it brought people into me and into my life who are amazing because I was okay with sharing. So when we start to see that healing and being vulnerable, stop trying to do it all alone, right? If we, if we could do it alone, if I could have done it alone, I would have done it when I first started trying it, but I couldn't. It's just, there's, I just couldn't. It's funny. I, I, I talk to people a lot, uh, sometimes about minimalism as well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in some ways I almost feel like that relates because I'll talk to people about the fact where if you clear space, you're allowing mm -hmm. the space for other things to come in that are better for you or, you know, that you desire more or something like that. Like I, I always use the example of, because when we think of minimalism, I feel like we all think of our closets because we all have things in our closets. Yeah, that, condo. You know, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm always, I'm always thinking to myself, you know, if, if you want, let's say a brand new wardrobe, but your closet is jam packed, mm -hmm. where is the new wardrobe going to go? So right. you have to clear out some of the old to make room for the newer, the better, the, the higher quality. Sometimes like all those things are going to be a better fit for you. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it's a painful process. Like it's, it's not something that comes easily necessarily. 
Well, and we have to, no, that's a very good point. We have to create space. I always say that like some of the best answers I've ever come up with have been when I've created space, not when I'm trying to force through something to make a decision, but create space to allow yourself space to do that. And some people, like they, they I say this in the beginning, I was very resentful because I felt like my friends should have been this or that or whatever it was. But then I finally realized that, okay, Marsha, you are actually living in this and you don't have the answer. So how in the world are they going to have the answer? Like I can't possibly put that on them. So creating that space. And there were some people who literally just left, like they just, they just walked and that's okay because I mean, I, it did create that space. And when I started to see that, that it was like, oh wait, but look at this person I've met over here and this person I met over here. And so it's space. It's not about us, right? It's not, we, we take it personally. But really, for some people, I mean, if, if they do walk, maybe it's too much for them. Maybe they're going through a really hard time and they're like, we have no idea. So we can't, but not taking it personally can really save us a ton of energy in the process. I think so too. And you never know, sometimes those people might circle back, you know, yeah. a, few, a few months or a few years from now and actually say to you, you know what, I wasn't ready for what you had to offer, but- right. Now I am, or this is something that I've gone through and now I have a, a better perspective or a different perspective on what you were sharing yes. and it, it can completely shift things. Yes. Um, but I, I really appreciated too, how you were talking about kind of the stories in our head and mm. that sometimes these thoughts are toxic and I can absolutely <laughs> relate to that. Like I'll catch myself wrapping my identity around certain stories that I have about myself. Mm -hmm. And other than things like journaling, what are some of the other steps we can sort of First, determine if, if that's what we might be doing to ourselves. And then how do we start to pull that apart to learn to let go even more, like kind of beyond, beyond the journaling and just kind of trying to retrain ourselves a little bit? Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, it's such a big question. And I wish I had a direct, like easy one sentence answer. It's, it's choosing how you want to feel and choosing what you want in your life and choosing how you want to live your life. I was in such a low awful space. I just, I couldn't even recognize who I was anymore. And I knew that's not how I wanted to live. I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't know what was possible, but I knew what I didn't want. And so it became a, a pace of where I would feel myself that it was almost like this line in the road. My choice, my next choice is going to take me closer to or further away from how I want to feel. Everything became energy because that's the only thing I could really discern. And my brain, I didn't trust it. I didn't trust my intuition at that point. I just didn't really even know how to create what I wanted, but I knew when I felt better. So I started to do things that helped me to feel better. And that was, you know, whether it was yoga, whether it was um, out for a walk with a friend, whether it was just space, I would allow myself to go to Starbucks and, and you know, just journal. But creating habits of things that helped me to feel better made me want to feel better more often. And that just meant following the path and those choices. So I would literally have the conversation of saying, is that mine to own? No, it's not. I want to feel better. So which direction, if, what does this decision I'm gonna make, does it take me closer to or further away from where I wanna go? And every day became one more step and one more step and one more step. And I'm not gonna lie, there are some days where it was like, you know, three steps forward and 10 back because life would come in, a situation would happen and be like, crap, this is just, take you out of the knees again. But I say that over time, as we build up our intuition and trust ourselves and you know our decisions and what we want to do, as we start to do that, the things that used to take us out of the knees are just like little speed bumps in the road.
they become little bits of speed bumps. And as if, if something does take me out, I can say this with 100% truth. If I am really struggling with handling difficult situations and we still have lots, it's almost always related to very poor self-care game on my part. So if my self-care game of what I need to feel better is on, I handle life better. So I would encourage people to really take a look at what helps you to feel better. And it doesn't, we don't have to be talking about anything big, expensive, nothing. But for me, some non-negotiables were nutrition. I needed to start to move again. I had to find a way to get some sleep. Those are the things that fill the cup all the time and help you to feel better so that you can learn to let go of what is not yours. And years ago, again, I referenced Lisa Nichols because I, she hit me at a time in my life but she talked about the filling the cup. And I love this analogy. We, we all know about filling our cup and our self-care game fills our cup. But she talked about it in a cup and saucer. And we, our job is to fill the cup to overflow so that the saucer is overflowing and we feed others from the saucer. We don't feed them from our cup. We feed them from the overflow. And here I was with a bone dry cup, angry at the world because my cup was dry and I wanted somebody to change my situation. But I felt like I was still having to do all of these other things. And I honestly just have to take radical ownership that it's my cup. Like I have got to do something with my cup in order to be able to handle what was happening. And as I started to change that self-care um, game, mantra, habits, all of the things that went with it, what happened is I started to handle our situation better. It didn't change the situation. I think that's really important for people to understand. It doesn't change the situation. It changes how we handle the situation. And maybe that changes the situation. I'm really happy that you're bringing up self-care actually, because when, when I'm struggling, the first thing to typically go is sleep. Yeah. As soon as sleep goes, it's like dominoes. It's like, <laughs> it all goes. It all everything goes. falls ugly. apart. It does. It like, does. Just, it, it's like somehow then I stop, I stop drinking enough. I often start under, oh. under eating by accident. And then when I do eat, I eat like more sugary food. Yeah. I'll like throw yeah. in some vegetables because I'm so like, I'm so into vegetables anyway. Like we're, we have, we have a long-term love affair, me and vegetables, but I still like add in, you know, more sugary stuff than I normally would. It just completely falls apart. I feel like a wreck. My mood gets thrown off. It's, yeah. I'm a disaster. It, as soon as I start getting not enough sleep, it just falls apart. So self-care is so important. I, I love that, that you mentioned that because it's typically the first thing to go when we are under huge duress or stress mm. or time crunched or anything like that. We make excuses and we let the self-care go out the door and everything falls apart. Well, we try to be more. It's so true. We try to be more to everyone. Like we try to do more. We try to, well, I don't know if we're proving our worth. I'm not really sure exactly what we're doing because I know I've done it a million times, but we are true of that worth and do more and be more to everyone else. But that can't happen unless we are filling the cup. And again, it doesn't have to be anything like magical to go in the cup. It's just the, the rituals and the habits that help keep us our best. And when, I, and when I'm having off days, even to this day, when I'm having off days, I'm like, okay, what's, how's my self-care game looking? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like not only is part of it off, the whole thing is off. It's all off. And so it's like, let's get back to basics. And what brings me more energy and helps me to feel better? That's what I try to focus on. Yeah. It's so, so crucial. I just think that it's so important. And the other kind of part of all this is that I think that sometimes when we stop not trusting intuition is, is a really big theme that I have noticed come up in my own life where yeah. if there's a lot of trauma or something like that, 
I stopped trusting myself because I'm like, well, what, what are the choices that I made to put myself in this position, in -hmm. these shoes? And that can be a huge issue because then we start getting stuck in either a regretful past or an anxious future. And it doesn't leave any room for joy either. And it's a huge problem. And that's a really good point. I mean, that's, I know in the beginning, I couldn't figure out how to not live in the past, right? I was replaying every scenario going like, what's it, what if I did this wrong? What if I did this right? What if I changed this? And then the future, cause I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I like, there's a lot of things when you're dealing with abuse at this level that you just don't know how it's going to unfold. But none of the pictures I had in my head were good. Like I was, nothing was good. And the present was so ugly. I didn't know where to put my thoughts. I, I didn't have a clue where they could go. So you're spending all this energy replaying everything, worried about the future, not wanting to live now. So even when somebody said, you know, find a way to be grateful, which honestly I felt like punching them in the face for, <laughs> I couldn't even figure out how to make that happen. I had to find ways of focusing on gratitude of the present. And they could be the silliest little things that I got outside and saw the sun for 10 minutes. Like it doesn't have to be huge, but you have to find things that can change your state and I think that when you talk about, you know, not trusting ourselves, I, I mean, I didn't trust myself at all because I, I believed I created this and this was my fault. That was part of the, as a mom, your job is to fix, control, and manage everything, right? But I don't know why we got that title or why I believe that title, but I did. And so it's this whole judging ourselves. We are judging ourselves and being critical of ourselves. So if I am tearing myself down, how could I possibly trust my intuition? Because I didn't believe in anything I was doing. I didn't trust myself. So we have to build up that intuition again. And that starts by listening, like listening to do, is this what I want? How do I create more of what I want? What brings me joy? How can I find some happiness? And you know what? It's, it's really is baby, baby, baby steps that keep adding up. And eventually it just helps you to change your perspective. Like I said, the situation didn't change. I changed. And that's what had to happen. The situation didn't change. You changed. I changed. I, I want everyone to listen to that yeah. <laughs> because that's really what it ultimately comes down to is, is the choices that we mm-hmm. are making. And mm-hmm. actually, something else I wanted to ask you about was that you, you also mentioned sort of paying it forward when we discussed this interview prior to recording. I really want you to tell us more about what you mean by that. Well, I think that if, I mean, a big premise of what I, if I were going to umbrella what I teach and talk about is, you know, it's really about being inspired. And I mean, the inspiration only takes us so far, but it helps us to see that, wait, maybe there could be something different. Like there's, if, if I know her story and I know what she's done, then there's a possibility, right? There's hope for me. And leading ourselves is next because we have to learn how to lead ourselves in challenges because it's, it's. I mean, challenges don't go away. They don't go away. They're always going to be there. I'm not negative, but I'm very much a realist. Those challenges are there. So how do we handle ourselves on a daily basis? And then paying it forward. I believe that if we have found a solution to a problem or we are feeling called to share a story, that we need to pay that forward to others. And we pay that forward by sharing our story and our lessons, shining a light. It's almost like it lights the way for someone else. It creates a ripple and however we say it, but it's helping people to realize that they're not alone. I mean, this shame, it just grows and grows and grows and grows because we let it grow. Like we let it grow because we feed the story. We feed the story. We feed, we give it power. We keep ourselves stuck. It's like we've got this anchor on it. So it's, we're not serving people by doing that and we're not serving ourselves. So I feel like by paying it forward, we shine that light and give others hope. 
And it just, I just think it's so important. I mean, plus the other thing, it helps us to realize that really like life is not about us. I thought it was for a long time. I got out of my ego. It's not about us. And it really, this message isn't even about me anymore. It's about what can it do to help someone else through something difficult? Because I'll tell you, when I was in the throes of it, I can't even imagine what I would have paid, done, or to have somebody help me through it, but no one was talking about the difficult things in life. And I think we have to start talking about them. Again, not being negative, not living in it, but finding a way to start talking about them because that's how we can keep paying it forward. And so when I first started, I was, you know, I was working with a lot of parents who were dealing with substance abuse and being completely transparent, it didn't take me long to realize that that was not where I felt I was the most useful and I didn't feel like if I listened to the energy, that was not what I was supposed to be doing, but it will always be a portion of what I do because there are people out there who are looking, begging for help. So, you know what, half an hour phone conversation with somebody to give them a few tips if they're open, listening to them, giving them some resources of where to go. It's just, I think it reminds us that just this life is not just about us. We have to do more to serve, support, and impact others. That's oh, such a, a great perspective. I really, really like that a lot because it, it ultimately is, and there's this huge push again, sort of in the online world about scaling and yeah. um, a lot more hands-off stuff. And yes. what I'm finding is that the pendulum is swinging back a little bit more towards more one-on-one -on -one or at least like that more human Yes. Interaction and connection because we feel alone. Like I, I feel like this is just sort of one of the main themes of this entire episode is that mm -hmm. we, we want that connection. And when we're all we're getting is just more internet stuff. Like that's yes. great. There, there can be a lot of great power in that and, and some really beautiful perspectives and lessons that can be gained from that. But it's ultimately about this mm. connection with others. It's, it's absolutely the most important part. It is, and I do believe, I'm not going to do the quote justice, but I know Brene Brown says that the connection is like our number one need. Like we have, it's our number one thing that we need to feel is connection. It helps us to realize that we are not alone. And when we have that connection, like shame can't live, right? Yeah. It, it just can't live. And, and that's what we need. We need to let go of that because we also, you know, at the end of the day, my story can happen to anyone. Sorry, anyone out there, but it can happen. It can happen to anyone. I mean, things, bad things happen to good people all the time. So it's what can we do next? And um, to jump, I just want to share this part while I'm on this um, train of thought is the name of my book is when she stopped asking why. And the reason I did that was because the why was killing me. Like the why was absolutely killing me. I, all I did all day long was why, why me, why us, why them, what did I do wrong? Why, why, why? And you know what? A, there is no answer. And B, is there any answer that would have made it okay? Like there, there's no answer that would have made me feel better. And I could ultimately go back. This was a real aha moment. I could go back and change every single thing I did and still be in the exact same spot because they were based on choices that weren't mine. And so the why actually had no bearing at all. Everything became about what. So when you asked me earlier about a tool or things that I used to help me, it was every time I said the word why, I switch it in the moment, go, then why does it matter? What are you going to do next? Because what's action? What are you going to do next? What's the next thing you're going to do? What's the next thing you're going to do? And that became a big part of it, right? Is really shifting that language and changing that because why are, 
the word why can be a really big victim question. And we don't change anything if we think we're a victim. We just stay in it. And that didn't serve me and it didn't serve anyone else. So I, I know years ago, a counselor said to me, if you don't find a way to deal with this, if your kids come back to you, then you are a big pile of quicksand. You are, I mean, you're not going to be any service to them whatsoever. You've got to find a way to be a springboard. Right now, you are not a springboard. And that became a thing of like, okay, I have to do this. I have to do this to be stronger. So I know that's a long convoluted answer, but I really wanted to share that piece of it of why letting go of asking why is so important. That is so, that's incredible advice. I think that's really incredible advice. And I have been there myself it's stuck mm -hmm. in that, in that vicious cycle of why. And yeah, exactly. These are never satisfying even never. when I do come up with an answer, which no. is rare, and they never make me feel any better. <laughs> no, there's no point to it whatsoever. Talk about wasting energy. I mean, I did it for years, but wasting energy, and it was just like, no, let it go. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And turning point, really deciphering those words. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of your book, I want to read a quote that I pulled from your book because Perfect. this really spoke to me on a lot of levels and I was going to try and shorten it because it's a little bit long, but there's nothing I can cut out. So okay, <laughs> I, Perfect. I'm read, it's like, it's like two like short paragraphs. It's just more than I would typically read, but I think that this needs to be said. So okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna, okay. I'm ready. Okay. So we spend most of our lives in this long hallway full of closed doors. The doors represent different moments and opportunities in our lives. We spend so long looking at the doors, trying to decide which door is best for us, which door is perfect, which one has the least amount of pain, which one will bring us the most ease, that we rarely open any of the doors. We just sit there in fear, hoping that the answer will come to us. It doesn't. Answers never come when we are standing still. The answers come when we are in action, when we open a door. There will be heartache, pain, and frustration behind every single door. There will also be beauty, growth, and happiness behind every door. And each door will bring another door. There is no perfect door. The doors represent our choices, and our choices create how our life unfolds. Life will happen no matter what, and time will pass by regardless whether we stand still and watch it or if we actively participate in our life. We always get to choose. Once I owned the power of the word choice, I could see that I had a choice all along. We all do. Oh, I have chills. <laughs> it's so good. I remember writing that. It's so weird listening to that. But I do remember writing that. And you know what? I, it's actually funny because I do, I go back to Marsha, are you in the hallway? Like pick a door, just pick a door, just open it and you'll figure it out as you go. So this is, this is freaky. I, I <laughs> this is very weird because I'd already copied and pasted this like into the, the Google doc that I had set up for today, for today's interview. Cause I found mm -hmm. it a couple days ago. I'm like, nope, I want to read this. And then last night I went and had a Reiki session and mm -hmm. I don't know if, if you know anything, yeah. have you ever had Reiki? Okay. Yes, I have. Yeah. So I've never had it done and I'm not going to lie. I was a little skeptical, but <laughs> it was, I, I know it was a really great friend of mine and um, I'm actually going to have her on the podcast. So for anyone who doesn't know Reiki or anything like that, don't worry, it will be explained just in, in a couple more episodes. Um, mm -hmm. And as soon as I got there, so I already know her well, so we aren't strangers, but as soon as I got there, she, I was lying on the table and she was just explaining how the session was going to go. And, and I noticed she kept turning her head and finally she stopped mid sentence and she said, okay, I'm getting the image of an open door. No. And she said, I keep thinking that it's a real door and I keep turning to look and there's no door. She's like, but there is an open door beside me. And I just had this 
this flash. And I was like, that's my door. I'm like, and I'm resisting going through it, mm-hmm. but I know that I have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, wow. so then today when I opened this Google doc and I'd, I'd forgotten how much this quote talked about doors, I had chills. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> it's powerful. That's awesome. Oh That's my goodness. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, well, no, thank you. Because I just, you, you put it so beautifully. And I think that it was exactly what I needed to read, um, at, at that particular moment. And I hope that it's going to touch somebody else too, because but like you said, like these, these doors represent all different choices. And we're so afraid of making the choices because we're terrified on, of what is going to be on the other side of that choice. But it's, it's sort of a matter of balance too. Like with the dark comes the light and vice versa. Always. So no matter what you pick, there's always going to be a bit of both. Always. There's, I think that's the thing. We think that there's this perfect, perfect choice. There isn't. And you know what? We learn, right? So we go through the door. We are like, oh, I'm not going to do that one again. Or no, nope, I, at least I tried. This didn't work for me. Or, oh, I love this. And I, I'm going to do more of this. So it's, it's, we, we learn so much about ourselves by actually trying and getting into action and going through the doors. And I just think it's, it's such a powerful Powerful thing, but it reminds us that we do have a choice, right? We do, we do have a choice. And when I really started to own that choice, it just, it changed everything. And I did that even with my kids. I'm like, nope, that's not my choice. You want to make different life? You want to create a different life? Make a different choice. Everybody can. We all can. And we all can at any point in time. That there's always options. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's so much just power in that too. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Well, Marsha, I want to make sure that everyone can come hang out with you. So <laughs> awesome. tell, tell us where we can find you. Tell us all about you. You know, tell us, uh, I'll certainly obviously list um, your book and everything in the show notes as well. Yeah. Tell us all the things. <laughs> I, have a, I mean, I have a lot of things and it's changing all the time, but I do have, um, I do my own coaching. I do group coaching and I work with women to help them with their stories where they are building coaching, speaking, and writing businesses so that based on the lessons of their story. So it's seeing this unfold of women who are saying, I know my story is meant for more. Can you help me share it? And this is why we have to be open because that wasn't on my radar. It was never on my radar. After about the fourth or fifth person came to me, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, universe, I'm listening. And then it was like, oh, this is becoming a, a habit and people are coming up and asking the same questions. So I help women with how to take their stories and do more with it and make an impact. So I do that as well. And then I run an event twice a year called the Inspired Life Project where we showcase different speakers and have women come in. And it's you know just a beautiful day of teaching women tools and support of how to you know lead themselves and when they're in their lives and pay it forward to others. And I love it because I have women who come back each time and I have women who come by themselves and meet, you know, other people. It's this whole, as you spoke about earlier, it's this whole thing about hands-on, let us put us in connection and belly to belly with other people and offline, but in real person. And it really helps us to kind of get out of our own way and realize that, wait a minute, you mean there's 40 women in here and I wasn't the only one who thought that way. So it really is very powerful. And so I do that. And I, there's a lot of different things there. I have my own podcast called Own Your Choices, Own Your Life, which I'd love to have you on sometime. Oh, and love to. <laughs> absolutely. And um, I do that as well. And I have a few speaking engagements coming up this year um, with uh, the Great Canadian 
Women's Summit, and that will be really exciting. And just, you know what, just lots of things. You can find me on Facebook. I'm very active there um, under Marsha Van Weisberg and Instagram, Marsha Van W. And my website is marshavanw.com. So you can find all different kinds of things there as well. Oh, so good. I can't wait to uh, show people where to find you and all of those things. And I, I so wish that I could attend the Great Canadian Woman Sarah, uh, Summit. We had um, Sarah Sween on a few episodes yes. back, so I'll link up to that as well. And I have to miss it this year because I'm going to be traveling, but uh, I'm absolutely going to be there next year. I'm so excited. Oh, <laughs> she, so I'm looking forward to it. Sarah is just awesome. And actually, that's where I came across you. And this is the beauty of podcasts, right? The beauty podcast and connecting with other people and realizing like how many people are out there trying to impact and help other people. I think it's yeah. awesome. Oh my gosh. I know. This is why I love podcasting. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Okay. So I have one final question for you and okay. I ask all of the guests. It's if you could offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Mm. To trust yourself. Oh. I would say to trust yourself. You know, it's whether it's, I had all these kinds of answers I was thinking of and that just popped in right now. You know, we always look for joy, follow the energy, do all those things, but you're not going to do that if you don't trust yourself. And when you trust yourself and know that you do deserve more in your life, you are not your story. You are not your body, right? You are not your bank account. You're not all those things. You deserve more. So trust yourself and follow that path. Great advice. So good. Oh my gosh. Marcia, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. And this has just been like more knowledge bombs than I can even absorb right now. I'm going to have to listen to this one several times. <laughs> thank you so much for having me and for giving me this space to be able to share. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.